Amen. So let's, let's just, uh, let's go ahead and jump in and let's, let's read the passage. And this is, well, today we're going to be reading out of Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Uh, for those of you who are new uh, or you don't have a Bible uh, or you're, you're new to the Bible, in the worship guide, there's a page number. There's a page number that can direct you to the exact page we're reading from, from the Bibles that are in front of, the, uh, are in front of you uh, underneath the chairs. So if you don't have your Bible today, you can grab one of those uh, in order to follow along. And uh, we strongly in, uh, encourage you to do so. And if there is not a Bible in front of you and you don't have a Bible, you can always follow along uh, here on the projector behind me. Or you can always pull it up on the Grace app and take interactive notes on the Grace app uh, during the sermon as well. So let's just go ahead and jump into this passage and let's just read it together. So chapter 7, verse 1. <clears throat> So Paul says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. As I once, I, I'm sorry, verse 9, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very covenant that promised life proved to be death in me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Verse 13. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So if you're like me, after reading through that, um, you're probably a little confused. And, I, <laughs> and that's okay. I, you know, it's, there's, there's some language and there are some things here that Paul is talking about. But again, we're going to try to focus on the main point. And today I'm going to argue or propose to you that the main point and the main thrust of this passage is in verse 4. We'll see it in verse 4 and we'll see it in verse 6. And within that, those two verses and within that part and that section of this passage, uh, there's three things that we're going to learn. Number one, we're going to learn that we are in a new relationship to the law. We're in a new relationship to the law. Number two, we are in a new relationship with Christ. 
We're in a new relationship with Christ. And number three, we have a new relationship to our purpose. We have a new relationship to our purpose. So that is what we're going to extract from this passage, and hopefully the points that we have written down in the worship guide are going to help us do that. But remember, I said there are some parallels. There are definitely some parallels that we see between chapter 6 and chapter 7. In fact, there are many of them. In, in Romans 6, freedom, there is freedom from sin. In Romans 7, there is freedom from the law. As we died to sin, we also died to the law. As we died to sin by union with Christ's death, so we died to the law through the body of Christ. As we have, as we have been justified and free from sin, so we have been released from the law. As we have also shared in Christ's resurrection, so we belong to him who is raised from the dead. As we now live in newness of life, so we now serve in the newness of spirit. As the fruit we reap leads to holiness, so we bear fruit. We bear fruit unto God. So those are all parallels that we see in these two chapters as we're studying it and getting into it. And, you know, one of the things that's, that we can quickly do is we can quickly begin to think, is, is law wrong? Is law sin? Is that something that I should completely get away from in my life? And, and that's uh, the, you know, when I was in Bible school, that was always an argument between students. Well, you're not under the law. Yes, you are under the law. No, I'm not. And I don't have to do everything the law says because I'm no longer under the law. And so what's, what's, in, or what's important is we have to understand in context what Paul is speaking about when he makes the statements that you are not under the law. The law is good. There's nothing, there's nothing bad about the law. The law is holy. The law was given by God. As a matter of fact, what you'll see throughout Scripture and how the law has related to, 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 to God's people is in the prophetic books, the law was meditated on. In the Psalms, it was they rejoiced in the law. In, in, uh, no, I'm sorry, that was in the poetic books they were meditating on. The prophetic books they were preached from. They, were, they taught the law to the people. They measured the people's sin with the law. In the gospel, Jesus didn't annul the law. He affirmed the law. He affirmed it. He came to fulfill it and to complete it. So, and Paul knows that that's going to be a question, and later on he goes into answering that question. But we have to establish that we're not sitting here making a case for this law being bad or not. What we're trying to do is we're trying to understand what is our relationship to the law now. See, before, um, <clears throat> in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says that we are no longer under the law. What Paul is mentioning there is, that for justification, for the purpose of justification, we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. That's what he means by that. He's not saying uh, it's this overarching, the law is just completely wiped out. No, he's saying that what the law was inadequate in doing in justifying the people of God, uh, God was able to do that through his grace. And now we start talking about sanctification, and in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says we are no longer under the law. We're no longer under the law, but under the Spirit. Because in order to be sanctified, the only way that we can do that is by living in the newness of the Spirit, which we're going to get into. So let's just begin with the understanding that we're not to take the law out completely, that the law is good. But it's our relationship to the law that is being dealt with in this passage. Again, verse 4 
let's go back and let's read verse 4. It says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that you may bear fruit for God. That's what he says there that we are to do. So my first point is this, is that my death to sin has freed me from the law and unites me with Christ. And we see that here in verse 4. My death to sin has freed me from the law and unites me to Christ. Again, let me read that. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So my death to sin and my freedom from the law, the purpose for that is so that I can be united with Christ. See, what's interesting is that I can't be united from Christ until I've been set free, since, uh, set free from sin and set free from the law. So in order to be bound to Christ, in order to be united with Christ, I have to die to sin and die to the law. And that's what he's developing in, from verses 1 to 3. He uses this example of marriage, and, and he says that, or do you not know that, I am speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. So, I mean, we know that. We know that in general, a law can't, uh, it, it, it can't condemn someone who's already dead. A person that's dead is no longer subject to the law, correct? So we know that. And, and so he's making that general statement there that, that we are dead that we are dead to the law. So he's, he's making that example. He's using marriage as an example. Now, this is not a reason for you to go home and say, oh, Lord, if, if that's the only way I can be released from this marriage rightfully, well, please start working in that person's life. Because <laughs> this isn't working for me. No, 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 that's not an excuse for that. Some of, when I first read it, I was like, whoa, that's, you know, some people are going to think that they can pray for their spouse to, you know, I don't even want to say the word, but no, we can't do that. We cannot do that. This is not what it's saying. But what he is doing is he's making an, an example. He's, he's using this marriage example to make the case that, again, once a person is dead, law ha no longer has jurisdiction over them. Okay? And so we've been freed. We've died to sin. And he says here, we've died to the law. As a matter of fact, I was overlooking this and I thought, you know, I shouldn't have put I'm freed from sin. I should have put I've died to sin, I mean, to the law as well uh, on, on that first point. But Paul says that we have died. We have died to sin. To the law. And what does that mean? How, how does that come about? How could he say that we have died to the law? We are still alive. You're still living. We're, we're all still sitting here breathing. Where most of you are sitting here thinking if he would just stop preaching, we could go eat at our favorite restaurant. That's what we're thinking. Others are thinking, Lord Jesus, please let the Cowboys win this, this evening. And I won't even mention Eddie's prayer, but, <laughs> but what does this mean? What does this mean to be dead to the law, that we have died to the law? And this is what it means, and he says it right here in verse 4. He says, so that you may belong to another. Sorry, he says, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the, to the law through the body of Christ Jesus. Church, we have to just pause there and just think about that. You know, too many times we get into this argument about the law and, not the, and, and living in the law and not living in the law. We get so bogged down with those 
arguments that we forget just how big of a price had to be paid so that you and I could be freed from this law. So that you and I wouldn't have to die the penalty we should have died. That you and I could live free the way we live today. See, too many times we can read through these passages and we can think and just say, oh, thank you, God. Whoo, salvation is made easy for us. And it is, church. It is. It's as easy as putting our trust in our Savior. But it was a big price to be paid. And Jesus paid that on the cross. He gave himself up so that you and I would not have to pay the, the penalty for sin and the law anymore. That when Jesus died on the cross, he completely, he completely fulfilled what the law required from us, which was death. He completely fulfilled that. But it came at a big price. It came at a very expensive price. And I can remember when I was, when I was younger, I was a teenager. I, most of you know my father passed when I was 16 years old. And, uh, and we, we had this truck uh, he had this truck, and it was a really nice truck. I don't know if you guys remember in the 1990s, these conversion trucks were like, it was, it was big. Uh, or these, these and they still have them today. They'd come with the skirts and the rims and the leather in, interior, and it were just really nice vehicles. And so my father had purchased one, and, and, and you know, when he passed, one of the questions that came up, well, what, what, what are we going to do with the truck? I was the only one still living under my, my parents' roof at that time, so... Um, it was given to me. I mean, you would say, okay, that's, it's nice to have a vehicle, but it came at a price. At a price I wasn't willing to pay. And I remember I was, I was walking out of youth service one night, and one of the students there, and they said this in, in, in you know, to be fair to them, they weren't saying this in, in a malicious way, but we don't think what we say sometimes, and so this young lady, this student, looks at me and she says, it must be nice to have a truck. <laughs> and that was just maybe a month or two after my father passed. And I remember getting to the truck. And simply thinking, yes, but I would rather have my father with me. You see, too many times we... We see the benefit, we see the gift, and we see that it's free, but we forget the cost that was paid in order for us to give it. And so we must pause at this moment in this text, in reading this scripture, and seeing that we are freed because Christ died for us. It was through his body that we have died. And now that we have died in him, the law has no hold on us anymore. It can't hold us captive. It can't. We won't pay the penalty anymore because he paid it, church. We won't be put on a cross because he's already been put on a cross. We won't be crucified because he's already been crucified. And now we are set free from sin and we are set free from the law. 
See, this, this new life is only given to us because of how Jesus lived, how he died, and how he rose again. That is the only reason we have this and we have this gift, is because of him and what he did. Not because of us and not because of anything that we could have ever done in this life, but simply because of him. And now the motive for our lives or the motive of our lives is not the law anymore, but it's love. And the inspiration of love can make us all able to do what the restraint of the law was powerless to help us do. That's powerful. Because now we don't live our lives according to law. We don't live because we're afraid of, of committing sin or because we're afraid of the penalty because we know the penalty is no longer there. But what drives us to righteous living, what drives us to live out the law in our lives is now the love that we have for God from understanding that we have died to the law in Christ Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. And now we live with him, united with him in this marriage as the church and as the body. So therefore, what the law was powerless in doing, now we have that through Christ Jesus and through what he's done in this new covenant. See, the law is holy. It is righteous and it is good. And, and Paul says that in verse 12. But what the law reveals to us, the law reveals the very character of God. That God is not a liar, God is not a thief, God is not an adulterer. So therefore, I'm called not to be a liar. I'm called not to be a thief and not to be an adulterer. The law is that which settles all relationships, human and divine. Can you imagine if men and women perfectly kept the law? How, how would this world be? How different would our lives and our community be if we could perfectly uphold the law? We'd be in a much better place, right? Be in a much better place. I don't think there'd be so much, I mean, obviously there wouldn't be war. There wouldn't be broken relationships and broken marriages. There wouldn't be broken families. There wouldn't be thieves, stealing, coveting, persecution. There would be none of that because we'd be all living the law perfectly in our lives. Another thing that the law does is it defines sin. The law reveals sin. Romans 3.20 says that. It condemns sinners. Paul says that in Romans 3.19. It defines sin as transgression, and we see that throughout the book of Romans and even in Galatians. It brings wrath. And it was even added so the trespasses might increase. See, remember what we said about chapters 1 through 3 and a half that Paul was clearly stating his case that the world was in desperate need of a savior. And the sin, I mean, the law reveals that. The law reveals that in our lives. So this brings me to my second point, and that is this, that freedom from the law is not my license to sin, but my motive for righteous living in the spirit. Freedom from the law is not my license to sin, but my motive for righteous living in the Spirit. Again, this is out of a response. What did Jesus say? If you what? If you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. See, now, now that Christ has stepped in, now that God has intervened in a most miraculous way, now what's happened is that the law doesn't save us. Christ does. We don't live obedience in order to be saved. 
We live out obedience because we love the God who did such a great thing for us. Church, it is love that drives us to righteous living. It is love that drives us to the purpose, the, the other purpose that Paul states here in verse 6, that we might be, bring fruit to God, that we might bring fruit to, to God. The fruit we used to, we used to live out or the fruit that used to come out of our living was death because we were under the law. But now that we are under Christ, we're under a new covenant, now we're able to live and bring fruit to God and bear fruit in our lives for God. And that's what he says here, that we might bear fruit to God. And it's interesting because, again, he says we must be freed from the law. We must have died to the law in order to bear fruit to God. How can that be? How can that be? Well, it's because when we begin to live our lives because we love God, when we begin to obey him because of our love for him and not because of what we are afraid of, then that changes the ball game. That changes everything. When we're not living based off of thou shall not and thou shall not and thou shall not, that changes everything for us. And now it's that we should because we love him. You know, the other thing that's neat about this passage is it says that we should live in the newness of the Spirit. In the newness of the Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, God wrote. It's the only, it's the only part of Scripture that he hand wrote with his finger anything. And he wrote it on the tablet of stone. But now, what does he do? He writes the law in our hearts with his Holy Spirit. And now it's our, his, his Spirit that leads us to this type of righteous living that will bear fruit to God instead of bearing death for ourselves. Bearing death for ourselves. So again, being free from the law is not a license to sin. No, it should be our greatest motive to living in righteousness for God. To living in righteousness for God. And you know what can happen sometimes is, is when we live under the law, Two things, I'll just say two things that can happen. Number one, we either live in condemnation all of our lives because you're never good enough. I mean, I've had plenty conversations, and even with myself when I was younger, I've had so many conversations with, with people who, have, who will come and say, but how could I love God if I keep sinning? I don't think I love him. I don't love God because I keep sinning. I keep sinning. I, I keep breaking the law and, and the law and the condemnation and the law and the condemnation and the law. But they fail to realize that, that God has set us free from that penalty. So now we should live out of love and obedience and not out of the must-haves or you must do this and you must not do that. The other thing that happens is that we can become very religious. We can become very legalistic in our living. We can think that we're very good people because we uphold the law. You see, the Pharisees, they upheld the law. They thought they, thought they were righteous. They thought they were good. If their time and moment came during those days, they would probably get to heaven and try to tell God, well, I should be let in because I upheld your law. I obeyed your commands. But deep down inside, really, they, they had issues. I was reading one commentary, and that commentary said that, that the one command that, 
that deals with the heart is the one command that Paul brings out from verses 7 through 13, and that's thou shalt not covet. I mean, we can all say we're good if we haven't killed someone, if we haven't committed adultery, if we haven't stolen something, and down and down down the line. But there was one, there was one commandment in the Ten Commandments that wasn't of external, um, it, it wasn't external, but it was internal, and that was thou shalt not covet. And that was the, the, the issue that Paul brings out. And you can see throughout the Gospels that the Pharisees were coveting power. They were covering, coveting leadership. They were coveting uh, a position uh, in society. They were coveting, they were very covetous in the way that they lived. Because that was the one thing that dealt with the heart. And so it becomes very difficult to try to live out the law. And we can't. And God knew that, and that's why he made a way through his son Jesus. As we keep reading through verses 7 through 13, this is where it gets a little tricky, and he says this. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? How does Paul respond? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetedness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came, uh, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. My last point for today is this, is that my battle with sinful desires can only be blamed on my broken nature, on my broken nature. So Paul is, he knew that the question was going to come up from the people. They were going to say, so what are you saying? Is the law bad? Is the law sin? He says, by no means. It is not bad. It is not sin. But sin took advantage of the opportunity and through it brought about tons of sin in our lives. It says there so that, that we, sin might become of, um, say, for sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, this is verse 11, deceived me and through it killed me, so the law is holy. The law is holy. So it is good. And here's the thing, when we talk about the law and sin, okay, so the law isn't bad, we know that sin is what's bad, and it's the entire look but don't touch, touch but don't taste type of syndrome that we live with now as broken people. Uh, the, the one moment something becomes off limits is the moment that we want it, right? I don't know why. When I was a kid, they say, don't steal. And the very first thing I do is go to a convenience store and steal some bubble gum. It's like, why? Why would I need to do that? Other than the fact that our broken nature sometimes gets pleasure out of breaking God's laws and commands. I was reading a story from St. Augustine. He was one of the uh, early church fathers. And... Um, and he said this story, he said there, were, there was a pear tree near our vineyard. Again, this is, Saint, this is Augustine. Uh, laden with fruit, he said. There was a pear tree near our vineyard laden with fruit. One stormy night, we youths set out to rob it and to carry our spoils away. We took off a huge load of pears, not to feast upon ourselves, but to throw them to the pigs, though we ate just enough to have the pleasure of forbidden fruit. They were nice pears, but it was not the pears that 
my wretched soul coveted, for I had plenty better at home. I picked them simply in order to become a thief. The only feast I got was a feast of iniquity and that I enjoyed to the full. What was, what was it that I loved in that theft? Was it the pleasure of acting against the law in order that I, a prisoner under rules, might have a, a main counterfeit of freedom by doing what was forbidden with a dim similitude or an impotence? The desire to steal was awakened simply by the prohibition of stealing. That's, that's it. You look at the garden. What did, what did the serpent need? What did, the, what did sin need? It, it just needed the command, thou shalt not eat of this tree. And all of a sudden, it creates this covetedness in us. And, and now we want what we can't have. And if we're honest with ourselves, most of us live with the curse of this sin. Most of us live with the curse of coveting, of, of, of wanting what we can't have. We will either steal, we'll, we'll hurt someone in order to get it, or we'll, we'll charge up a lot of debt in order to live a life that we can't afford. And St. Augustine is saying the exact same thing. He's saying here, it wasn't the pair I needed. It was just simply getting, just getting the fulfillment of having broken the law. So when we live under the rules, when we live under the the, the thou shall not, it, it becomes very easy for sin to create this covetedness in us. And that's our broken nature. We were born into sin. We can't blame this on anything else. We can't blame this on anyone. Have you ever seen someone who, who sins and, well, the reason I do this is because that person did this. Oh, but you should have just seen how they spoke to me in the line. You should have seen how they cut me off. You should have seen the hurt that that my spouse has, has, has placed upon me. You should have seen how, how broken my family is now. And we use sin in order to sin. We pay wrong for wrong. And scripture says that it's love and the understanding of the gospel that wins out and that wins a person's heart, yet we choose to do it in a completely different way. And with that, we live through the curse of our sins and what, what we are acting at that moment. So this being free from the law, it's, it, it's, not, it's not a license to sin. And we can't blame our, our sinful desires on anyone else but ourselves, our broken nature. But here's the good thing, church. Here's the good thing. Again, when we look at verses 4 through 6, man, we have to read that again. Verse 6 says this. It says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written cold. But now, once again, God has stepped in. God has intervened. God has given us another way to live, and that way is through the way of His Spirit. No longer are we to live under the fear of the written code, of the tablets where God wrote Himself the Ten Commandments. No, but now we live under the unction and power of the Holy Spirit, of their direction, of the Holy Spirit, and in our love, for God, we begin to live out this righteousness that was, that was once impossible to live out in life. But now God has made it possible through his actions, through his son Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit in us in his written word. That's big. That's big. So are we under law for salvation? By no means. Can the law justify us? No. Can the law sanctify us? No. 
that only comes through the grace of God, through the work of Christ Jesus on the cross, and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is the new way of the Spirit. So church, be encouraged. Be encouraged today. Because God has made it possible for you to bear righteous fruit for him by uniting us with his son Jesus and by giving us his Holy Spirit in order to live this out. You know, and he is the reason why. We look at Christ and we look at his life and we see how perfect he was, how perfect in every way. Remember that question? Can you imagine what the world would be like if we all lived out the law perfectly? Just look at the life of Christ and see how perfect he was. Look at the life of Christ and see that he never excused sin. Look at the life of Christ and see that even when he was tempted, when he was hurt, he didn't use that as, a, as an excuse to rebel against the purpose and the will for which God had him here on this earth. His purpose was changed. Our purpose has been changed. And now we see his life and we appreciate the work on the cross that he gave it all up so that you and I can have this opportunity. And that becomes our reason. And the gospel becomes our purpose. Why? Because he did it for us. He did what none of us could do. He accomplished what no one could. And he made it happen on the cross. Church, moving forward, it's, it's so important to understand how salvation has changed who we are. How salvation has changed how we respond to God. How salvation has changed how we should respond to each other. How salvation has changed how we should act and how we should live out the love of God and not the hate of this world. That we shouldn't make an excuse for sin. But we should call it what it is. But in love, bring that person with us to understand the truth so that there can be a genuine change in their heart. The law was inadequate. It was good, but to a point, and to the point of salvation, justification, and sanctification, it was inadequate. It couldn't do it. And now we have that through Christ Jesus. And can you imagine what our church could look like if we all lived in the newness of the Spirit? Could you imagine what our church would look like if we could live in love with one another? if we could give love for hate, if we could give love for hurt, if we could offer up prayers for those who we feel have wronged us, how much more united could we be as a body if we understood that we've been united with Christ through his spirit? The very work of the Holy Spirit is to unite you and me as the body of Christ to enlighten us and to lead us in this life and to empower us. That's the very 
nature of the Holy Spirit. That's the very work of the Spirit of God. Yet too many times we get bogged down with, with the laws or with religion. We get, or we jump to the extreme where we think, oh, well, I'm not subject to anything. I can do whatever I want. But when we live through the Spirit and we live out the love of God in our lives, church, we live in unity. And the strength of that unity is incredible. When the world sees the church united, the world wants to know what's going on with the church. When the world sees the church in the truth, they want that truth. And so this is our opportunity. This is our job. This is our calling to bear fruit for God and to do that through the Spirit of God. So my prayer today is that, Lord, lead me. Lord, even in my brokenness, lead me. Spirit of God, strengthen me to keep my eyes focused on the Son, to keep my eyes focused on what you did on the cross for me and not on anything else. And that is my prayer for you as well. And let's impact this community in a way that it hasn't been impacted before. That they might see our love for God, our love for one another, and the unity with which we live. And that they would believe the gospel that we share with them. That we live united with Christ, empowered by his spirit to bear fruit for the Father. Let's pray. Father. These truths aren't always easy to, to digest or to take in. We always want to hold on to something. But God, Paul calls that foolishness. He calls it foolishness because we have a better covenant. We have a better way. And so Father, let that be written on my heart. Let your spirit guide me and lead me to live this truth out in my life. And so, Father, I pray that for our church as well. I pray that as we continue to seek you, as we continue to want to know you more, that, Lord, you would lead us down the righteous path our purpose to bear fruit would be seen in our lives. That we could share the gospel and impact those who are in need of it. Father, I just thank you for your love once again and for the work that you've done through your son, Jesus. And I pray all of this in his mighty name.